this last week, Amanda and I were able to go down, well, Amanda was there all week, just being the rock star that she, that she always is. I was able to go down on Tuesday and hang out, and Amanda and I did the late night cabin devotion. And one of the things we talked about in that late night Bible study with the students is when you look at studies that have been done in recent years about what makes the difference of whether a student stays connected to faith and connected to church after high school, after graduation. And there's been a number of different studies done on this, and, and when you pull some of those results together, there's really three main indicators in a person's life. Now, this is not a formula. Spiritual growth, relationship with God is way more than a formula, but there's really three kind of identifying factors. Connection to God's word. In other words, the student wants to know God's word, wants to read God's word. There's a connection to scripture. Secondly, that they are serving, they're participating, they're actively involved in church. Church is not a, a, an obligation or a burden. They find like being a part of the church is key to their lives. And so, so they're serving, they're participating, they're actively involved. And then third, there's an adult other than or in addition to their parents who stay connected to their life spiritually after high school. Connection to scripture, I'm actively involved, serving, engaged in church life, and I have an adult who cares about me spiritually and keeps pestering me and stays involved in my life after high school. Those different studies that are done, those are kind of the three indicators that always, always come to the top. And when you think about that first one, about engagement with scripture, it doesn't matter if you're a teenager, or if you're in the room and you've been involved in church for 50 or 60 years, there's something about the Bible that can be so intimidating and, and overwhelming. And in your heart, really deep down, you think, I know this is important. I know I'm supposed to know the Bible. I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. But if I'm honest, I just get overwhelmed and intimidated. And I don't know how to study and I don't know what to do. And so one of the things I want to do this morning as we walk through this passage is I wanna give you a method as you read the Bible, something that might be helpful to you, and I wanna model it this morning as we go through this passage of scripture, and what it is, it's just four questions. We've talked about these before, but it's good to review these and go back over these. If you're reading the Bible uh, in the morning or late at night, or maybe you're getting together with your Sunday school class or some people to read the Bible, there are four questions you ask when you come to a passage of scripture. What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about people or humanity or living in this world? What do I learn about this world? What do I learn about the relationship between God and people, between God and the world? And then how is God calling me to respond to this passage of scripture? This works if you have three to five minutes in the morning to read a passage of scripture before, before you go to work or go to school. This works if you're sitting down with some friends with coffee or you're sitting down in your Sunday school class. What does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about myself, the brokenness of this world, my relationship with God, and then how do I respond? And when you think about that question of how do we respond to scripture, I want you to know that this morning, at the end of the service, I'm gonna call us to respond in prayer today. We're going to have a time at the end of the service where we're going to have people available around the room. If you just need to go to someone and pray with them, you're going to have a chance to do that. If this morning God is calling you to trust in Jesus for salvation, you're going to have a chance to do that. And particularly at the end, I'm going to call you just to pray with people around you. Go find your family if they're in another part of the room. Pray with some friends 
who, who are around you. Pray with loved ones who are with you. We're gonna spend time at the end of, this, of, of the time today just responding to God's word, saying, God, we trust you. We need to come before you. We want your peace in our lives. Let's look at this scripture. I wanna read these verses and then pray for us and we're gonna get right into them. Chapter four, verse 35. Mark chapter four. I know I didn't direct you to exactly to the verse, but we're gonna start in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And then in verse 37, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray together as we start. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. God, I pray peace over those who are here. God, I pray peace over those who are gathered at home watching. Father, would you, by your word and by your spirit, in the midst of our tiredness, in the midst of everything that we bring in, God, would you bring peace through Jesus Christ this morning by the power of your word. Father, thank you for the gift of Father's Day. God, I pray for the fathers in the room. We know that today, like any holiday, it can bring some really good memories, and it can bring some really, really hard memories as well. And Father, we know that, that even calling you Father, that, that comes with so many emotions and ideas because of what we've experienced on earth. And so God, I pray for each person in this room that today, as they turn to your word, as they see the power of Jesus, God, that you would bring healing and hope and peace into their lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna begin this morning by saying this to you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. He will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. The Lord lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, see the works of the Lord, his works of his power throughout the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire, and he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When we look at this story in Mark chapter four, we see a passage of scripture that speaks to those in the room who deal with fear and anxiety. God's word this morning speaks to those in the room, and if there's nobody else, I can tell you there's one right here that deals with fear and anxiety. And that may not be your challenge, that may not be your 
thing that you face in life, but you know someone who does. And whether it's things that go on in our lives individually, or whether it's news reports, heartbreaking news reports we hear about, or whether it's the craziness of culture, we know what it is to live in a world that seems so chaotic at times, that can create so much anxiety and uncertainty and fear in, in our lives. And we think about even what has happened in the Southern Baptist Convention this, this last week, and we think about the onslaught of political ads that we're going to watch for the upcoming months coming at us. And, and we think about something like the celebration of Juneteenth this morning, and the hope and the, the joy of the end of slavery, but at the same time realizing we still live in a world with so much racial tension. And we take all of those things and we say we want peace. We, we need peace. We want that in our lives. We want that in the world. And yet, so much of the world around us is designed to stir up fear. So much of what we hear, so much of what we face is designed to make us feel fearful. And this morning, I want you to know that God's word shows you a different way. That your heart would be open to what God's word would say to you. That you would see this gift of peace that comes through Jesus into our lives. And remember, peace is not the automatic absence of trouble. Like, we are able to have peace in the midst of the storms. That peace in a relationship doesn't mean sweeping everything under the rug. Peace means finding grace and mercy and justice and hope and finding a life where you can really flourish. Because those of you who know with anxiety, deal with anxiety and fear and uncertainty, one of the greatest frustrations of dealing with those things is just how it sucks the opportunity of life away from us. That God has given us this opportunity to flourish in life and yet it's so easy to be held back by fear and uncertainty. Look at verse 35. Let's get into God's word as we think about this. Verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. When evening had come, let us go across to the other side. Two observations I would just make for you in, in these verses here. Verse 35, when it says evening, that's actually a word worth underlining or, or recognizing because Mark uses that term seven times and it's his way of saying that his gospel, his book, is showing us seven different days leading up to the resurrection of Jesus, meaning the coming of Jesus is bringing the new creation, is bringing the rest that God always designed for his people. And so when you see evening here, it's a marker that we're moving into another day. And every time we move into another day in Mark's gospel, the intensity ramps up. The opposition to Jesus ramps up. The more we see Jesus' authority coming into conflict with the powers of this world. And what does Jesus say? He says, guys, let's go to the other side. Hop in the boat. Now, spoiler alert, because we've already read it. They're about to go into a storm. <laughs> does Jesus know this? Yes, by every indication, Jesus knows this. And he still says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Sometimes we think that when we go through a storm, we go through a challenge in, in life, it catches God by surprise. It does not. He said, get in the boat. Let's go. I have something else to teach you, and the only way you're going to learn this is if you get in the boat and we go out here on the lake. Verse 36. Leaving the crowd. Okay, if you've been here a few weeks for Mark's gospel, I hope that phrase just causes all kinds of, you know, sirens to go off in your mind. Leaving the crowd. They took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Who are our three audiences in Mark's gospel? The religious leaders, 
the crowds, and the disciples. The religious leaders are those completely opposed to Jesus, whose hearts, hearts are hard. The crowds, they're not sure, maybe Jesus, maybe not Jesus. The disciples are those who are learning to follow Jesus. What happens here in verse 36? Leaving the crowd. What does that tell us? This is about to teach us about discipleship. <laughs> this is about to teach us what does it look like to fully surrender your life to Jesus, to follow him into the storms of life. So Kean, what's it look like to follow Jesus? Ah, verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now many of the people that Jesus is taking with him are fishermen. They know a thing or two about storms. They're, they're familiar with the idea that you're gonna run into these storms, but there's something special about this storm because we find out quickly these disciples, these followers, these fishermen, they're, they're terrified of this storm. I don't know if those of you here, here are in favor of storms, or if you're like me, when you see a thunderstorm going, you go outside you know, to check it out. So there's, there's different ways that we approach storms, but these guys, they knew storms, and there was something about this storm that scared them. There was something about this storm that got their attention. So it's teaching us about a storm, but there is more going on here in this verse. Because when you back up, and you think about the way scripture is put together from beginning to end, so often in the Bible, tumultuous waters are an indication of evil, are an indication of evil spiritual powers at work. We don't have time, we could go back and look all throughout the Old Testament that when you see these waters of chaos, when you see these seas being, being uh, foaming and, and coming up, it's a sign that evil is at work. And so they're not just going into a physical storm here, I want you to know that Mark is indicating to us they're going into a spiritual storm here. They are confronting the reality of living in an evil world. They are confronting what does it look like to live in chaos. If I could give you just one word to write outside to the word of outside of windstorm here, it's chaos. That's what they're going through. And has anybody ever lived through chaos? <laughs> we, we know what that feels. Sometimes your mind feels chaotic, your heart feels chaotic, Let's be honest, our, our homes sometimes feel chaotic and workplaces feel chaotic and if you don't find chaos there, there are other places we can send you that, that are chaotic in this world full of, of evil and difficulty and pain. That's what they're going into here. This windstorm, yes, it, it is a storm they're facing, but scripture tells us there's more going on here. They're going into this situation. So what's Jesus do in this storm? Well, verse 38, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Don't you dislike the friend who can sleep through anything? Like, like the person, uh, many of you prove this to me on Sunday mornings. Like you just show me like your ability to sleep in any situation. Like it's, it's quite, quite, quite impressive. Uh, my, my mom, who is just one of the, well, let's just say the great woman on, on earth, like just incredibly works all the time, but she also has the ability that she can get into a car and just go right to sleep. Like she's out. You're like, how do you do that? Like it's the most, most amazing, I have to have everything set perfectly to be, able to, to be able to go to sleep, but she just goes to sleep. Here, they're in the middle of this windstorm and, and Jesus is asleep. Why? Why is Jesus asleep? Well, one obvious reason is he's exhausted. All the work that's been happening, he, he's been doing the work, scattering the seed, going to sleep, getting up, doing it again. There, there's a reality here that Jesus is human, that he's facing 
this exhaustion. But we also know sleep here seems to represent this idea of peace and trust. Even with all these storms going on around, even with everything going on, Jesus is asleep, that, that he's doing what the book of Psalms says in Psalm chapter three, that he's able to lie down and wake again because he trusts in the Lord. John Piper says that one of the great acts of faith in the Christian life is going to sleep. Why? Because it admits, makes us admit we're not God. <laughs> we're not in control. At the end of the day, we go to sleep believing God is still at work. At the end of the day, we go to sleep believing God is in control. And Jesus here is sleeping because he has peace that even in the midst of the storm, God is in control. God is at work here. And, and you can hear in this story echoes of the Jonah story. That when you open up the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, what's Jonah doing in the midst of the storm? He's sleeping. And what do the people do? They go down and they wake him up. The difference is, the difference is, in the Jonah story, Jonah cries out to God for help. In this story, what happens? Jesus is going to speak to the storm. In the Jonah story, he had to go to God. In this story, we see God at work. Look at the next part of this verse. It says there in the second part of verse, verse 38, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now there's gonna be a chance here in this verse to be really hard on the disciples. It's also a good chance to admit we, we do this as well because all throughout the book of Mark, you see the disciples struggling with this process of trusting. You see the disciples encountering the difficulty Jesus provides. They encounter another difficulty and they panic again. And they see Jesus provide and they encounter another difficulty and they still, they're, they're going through this process of learning to trust Jesus through all of these new circumstances and storms. And who among us at some point has not cried out to God and said, God, do you care? Do, do you see what I'm going through. How long, oh Lord, is this situation going to last? Do you even care about what's happening in the world? We, we feel this as we cry out to God in this way. The disciples are so overwhelmed by the storm that they are in that they forget who is with them. In life, we get so overwhelmed by the storms that we are in that we forget who is with us that we allow the circumstances to drive our thoughts, which drive our emotions, which drive our actions, which cause us to, instead of trusting and sleeping and worshiping, we find ourselves over here fretting and trying to take control and trying to fix situations that are out of our control to fix. When you think about this idea of anxiety and fear, let me just say up front, I know we say this a lot to Emmaus, but I hope you'll hear me out again on this. When we think about anxiety and depression and things like this, there are good gifts of professionals who we're able to turn to at times like this. There are good gifts of medicine that God provides that we need to be able just to get back to neutral, to be able to deal with these things we're facing. So I want to say that up front, that those are good gifts given by God in these situations. When you think about anxiety and depression, anxiety primarily is about what could happen in the future. Anxiety drives off, is fueled off of what if. Depression primarily is based off what happened in the past. Feelings of regret, 
impacts of trauma that stay with us, this idea of what if I could have done this differently in the past. So when you think about those two, it's, it's very overgeneralized and, and co- more complicated than that, but it's helpful to think about depression is primarily about what happened in the past. Anxiety is primarily driven by what could happen in the future. And there's a lady named Karen Gordon that I listened to a podcast this last week that she did that, that I found really helpful. Karen has worked a lot with teenagers And now she works a lot with business leaders who are dealing with anxiety and uncertainty in life. And and Karen's model for making sense of this is that in life, we need to distinguish between emotions and thoughts. And I know that doesn't sound very profound, but stay with me because I found this really helpful. Distinguish between emotions and thoughts. Emotions are primarily one word. Like you can describe them with one word. And, And they're They're not good or bad, they're just the way we react to situations around us. So anxiety, fear, anger, joy, all these things that can be described with one word are primarily these emotions. And we see emotions and we think about anger or anxiety and we're like, we need to get rid of that. We don't want to get rid of emotions. Those those are good, we need those things. The problem is when they begin to overwhelm our life and when they begin to become debilitating and they take us away from being able to live how God created us to live. What we can control though, and it takes work, it's a spiritual battle, but our thoughts drive our emotions, which drive our actions. These emotions in the middle are what we try to control, even though they're not what we're able to control, but what we can focus on is our thoughts. What are we thinking about? So in this verse right here, what are the disciples thinking about? God doesn't care and we're gonna die. Okay. So God doesn't care and we're gonna die. What kind of emotions would that drive? Well, a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. What kind of actions would come out of that emotion? We better wake up the guy who got us into this boat to figure out how we're gonna get out of this situation. It drives us not to trust in the Lord. We have thoughts that drive emotions that lead to actions. And the spiritual battle happens at that area of thoughts. What is my mind driven to? What do I really believe? What am I really holding on to? What what gets my attention? Another book that I've read recently, and we're gonna read as as a staff here at church, is a book called Soundtracks by John Acuff. Uh, Soundtracks, the subtitle is, has to do with overthinking. (laughs) The surprising solution to overthinking. I don't know if anybody in the room struggles with overthinking, but I'm not top thousand in the world in very many categories, but I have to be top thousand on the entire planet when it comes to overthinking. Like that, if there was an Olympics, I would compete for overthinking when it comes to that. And Acuff's idea is helping us understand how much overthinking situations drives the way we respond to situations, which then gets us into situations where we're overcome by this anxiety and, and fear. Instead of saying, God, I want to set my mind on you. I'm gonna cast all my anxieties on you because you care for us. I'm gonna think about the things of your word, think about the things of your kingdom, and as I do that, as I think about those things, as my heart is overcome by your word, then I'm able to respond to what you're doing. And I want you to hear something else before we move to the next verse. When it comes to anxiety, and it comes to fear, and it comes to depression, it comes to these issues, shame often keeps us from talking to the people that God has given us in our lives. Our family, our church. You come to church and you think, I can't tell people about the anxiety and the fear and the difficulty I'm facing. Friends, 
let this be exactly the place that you can tell people. Because even in these disciples, in their deepest moments of fear and anxiety, they see the mercy of Jesus played out in their lives. Look at the next verse, verse 39. What does Jesus do while they're panicking? Well, he woke up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. What an incredible verse. That in Genesis chapter one, the spirit is hovering over the waters of chaos, and God speaks and brings order. All throughout scripture, when the word of God speaks into the storms of our life, there is peace and calm. The word of God, spoken into the difficulties and storms of our life, brings peace that only comes from him. And the neat thing about these verses, right here, verse 39, the words that are used for peace and be still, these are the same words that Jesus used earlier when he was driving out the evil spirits. So when Jesus calms the storm in Mark 4, he is doing a very similar work to when he drives out evil spirits because we know in both situations we're seeing chaotic power at work and in both situations Jesus has authority to drive them out. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? That's a good question to ask ourselves from time to time. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. Oh man, notice the, the, the connection here. They're, they're afraid of the storm. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? And now they're afraid again, but this time, not of the storm. Now their hearts are being drawn to fear of the Lord. Why are you so afraid? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, if we've been reading through Mark, we know who this is, but the disciples are learning. Who is this that is able to overcome chaos? Who is this that's able to bring peace? And that takes us back to the very first question we talked about today when we're studying scripture. What's question number one when you study the Bible? What does this teach me about God? If you sat down and you read this passage early in the morning before going to work, or if you read this passage in your Sunday school class or your small group, you get to the end of it and you say, what did this passage teach us about God? And you could come up with a lot better statements than I put up on the screen. I'm just trying to give you, give you some examples of what it would look like to answer this question that in this passage, we see Jesus doing the work that only the creator can do. That when you see Jesus, you see the power of God at work in the world. You see God with us that Jesus is able to overcome the chaos and the sin and the pain and the death of this world, and you see that this is a God who goes into the storms with you. This is not a God who stays at a distance from our chaos and difficulty, but he is right there with you, friend, and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's able to speak to the sea and make it calm. He's able to speak to your chaos and bring hope. So what does it teach us about us? What does this passage teach us about us? Well, it teaches us that we live in a, in a pretty chaotic, difficult world at times. There are storms in our relationships, there are storms in our home, there are storms in our heart that, that nobody knows about. We, we live in the middle of this, and, and so often, 
we find ourselves responding with fear and anxiety and difficulty, we see in our hearts this desire, we want peace. We need peace, but it's so hard to get to because we live in this fallen world. We live in this world where it's easy to lose sight of who is with us, what God is doing. So what do we find out about the relationship between God and people? What do we find out about the way that God has dealt with this? I don't have it on the screen, but if you mark down in your notes, Romans chapter five, verse one, that verse tells us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Write that verse down and repeat it to yourself, repeat it to yourself, repeat it to yourself. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That because of who Jesus is and what he has done in the world and in our lives, we are able to have peace. And this peace comes because Jesus has dealt with the sin and chaos and death that you find represented in this storm. Jesus has taken on sin, he's taken on evil, he's taken on Satan, and he's overcome death, which means all of the worst things that could bring fear and anxiety in your life, Jesus has taken care of those. And he is with us as we grow in peace. Jesus doesn't always save us from the storm, but he will always save us through the storm. There are times in your life that your life is gonna go through difficulties and storms and you're gonna find yourself crying out, God, do you not care? Where are you? How long am I gonna deal with this? Friend, he is right there with you. And the God who is with you is the God who is able to speak to the seas and say, peace, be still. And he is able to speak to your heart and bring a peace that passes all understanding. And our response to that is, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I need this peace that we would turn from fear and that we would have faith, that we would trust in Jesus. Jesus, you're in control. I believe you. I trust you. I need that peace and salvation in my life. If you're here this morning and you have never experienced the peace of God in your life when your sin and your fear of death is taken away, for in today, trust in Jesus for salvation is the most important decision you would ever make that you would trust in Jesus. We had students this last week who they go through difficulties and anxieties and, and situations that go beyond anything us we've ever experienced, but they go through it. And we had students this week that said, I trust in Jesus. I need him. He is my hope for life. That we would turn to him and find peace. And then we grow in that peace. It's not automatic. We go through seasons, we go through difficulties, but we continue to grow in that peace because, here's the cool thing, as the peace of God works itself out in our lives, you know what happens? We're able to turn around and share that peace with people around us. So God's peace at work in our hearts allows us to turn around and share that with other people. There's a writer named Mark Sayers who says that one of the great superpowers in the coming days of our world is the superpower of being a non-anxious presence in someone's life. To be a non-anxious presence in your workplace. To be a non-anxious presence in your home. Dads who are here this morning on Father's Day, one of the greatest gifts you can give your family is the gift of peace and stability that comes through Jesus. That because of what God is doing in your heart, because of his peace at work in your heart, we are able to share that with people around us. What storm 
are you going through right now? What are you, what are you facing? What do you see around you? What do you see going on in your own heart? What are you dealing with that, that causes the fear and the anxiety to rise? How are you going to respond to that? Don't be dominated by that anxiety. Don't be dominated with, by that fear that you would turn to Jesus and know that he has all authority in heaven and on earth to bring peace and salvation to your life. And so as we respond this morning, we're not gonna respond immediately with a song. We're gonna sing one little chorus at the end, but for the next three or four minutes, we're gonna pray as a church. I'm gonna invite you to come here to the front and pray, that if you're struggling with anxiety and fear in your life, that you will not let shame keep you where you are, but you'll say, I just need someone to pray with me. I need someone to remind me of the good news of Jesus. There are gonna be people in the landing area below the stadium seating, so you don't have to come all the way here to the front. If you're not coming to respond in that way, can I ask you over the next few minutes, pray with the people around you. Find your family and pray together. Those of you who are here, if you need to go to another part of the room, just get together. Husbands and wives, parents praying over kids, praying that the peace of God would so work in our hearts, work in our lives, that we are able to turn around and share that with others. Can I pray over you? And then as a church family, I'm gonna call us to pray together here in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this really simple but really powerful story in the Bible. God, we know so many people in our world deal with anxiety and fear and difficulty and, and even if someone's here and, and they might say, you know, I, I don't struggle with that, they likely know somebody who does. And, and we live in a world that just seems crazy and chaotic at times. Feels like this storm that, that's mentioned here. And we need your peace so much in our lives. God, I pray for these teenagers. God, I pray that as they go from this place throughout the summer and into next year, God, that they would stay connected to your word, they would stay connected to the church, that there would be adults praying for them and caring for them, and God, I pray that you would give them peace so when they go into their school, they can be a source of peace to others because of Jesus. And God, over the next few minutes, would you give parents the courage to pray for their kids? Would you give spouses just an opportunity to pray together before we leave this room? And God, I pray that you would call people just to come to the front, just to come to the landing area and pray to turn to you and ask for your peace, your work, and their lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 